Um, so I will be launching a series um, that us elders have a privilege to bring to you. Uh, we are calling it A Weary World Rejoices. Um, we are going to get into a, We're going to look into Matthew for this series. It will be broken into three parts. First part being Jesus saves from sin, and this comes from Matthew 1, 21. The second part will be Jesus is God with us in Matthew 1, 22 through 23. And the last part being Jesus is our shepherd, and we find that in Matthew 2, 5 through 6. In this first section, we'll be looking uh, at Matthew 1, 21. But before we get there, I think it well to look at who Matthew was, to get a more intimate view of the scripture we have before us. Matthew was a tax collector, right? He is a detail-oriented person with numbers and calculated in the way that he thinks. Details matter to him. So he starts his gospel with the genealogy of Christ. So in this genealogy, he is building his case to the Jews specifically. Now, at first, this might sound like a great way to put people to sleep, but it's actually fundamental because if Jesus is not the fulfillment of God's covenant to Abraham and David, then this isn't the right person. The main point of this genealogy is that Jesus Christ is the promised Messiah, the promised king, and Matthew can prove it. Matthew is going to use Jesus' ancestry because the Jews are and were notorious for keeping accurate genealogies. The temple had an archive of ancestries that was meticulously documented. Uh, for their there were practical and legal purposes for these genealogies. For instance, it was legal proof of inheritance, of rights, of kingship. It was used to settle disputes over land and property. Matthew is, gonna, Matthew is saying, look at the records, go to the temple, read it for yourself. This is public information. This is not a scam. Reason with me, he says to his readers. As we think about the name of Jesus, Jesus is the name given to Joseph by the angel. Jesus meant he will save his people from their sins. So even his very name indicates the point in which we are making in Matthew. So in the record of Matthew's birth, we read in Matthew 1.21, She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Yeshua, Hebrew for Jesus, was a common name, but there is more to it. This name was synonymous with Joshua, who led the people to the promised land. So this name indicates the type of person Jesus will be. He will save his people, like Joshua did. Christos, Messiah, anointed. The whole of the Old Testament is coming together at this point in time, and the whole Old Testament points to Jesus. Both Abraham and David received covenantal promises from God. Matthew is implying that these covenants find their fulfillment in Jesus, the new king of Israel, who will extend these blessings to all nations. So when Matthew starts off with Abraham and David, he's essentially saying that God has remained faithful even though they haven't. Matthew's first point is that Jesus is the theme of this book. 
Jesus is the promised king, and Jesus is essential. As we think of Jesus being essential, uh, I read this heart-checking picture of Christmas from Dr. Tony Evans. I want you to think of the season that we are leading into Christmas. Imagine, if you will, your house. And outside of your house, you have decorated up three big boxes to look like Christmas gifts. These gloriously decorated boxes have all of the color of Christmas. They have all the glitter and shine associated with the most materialistic holiday of the season. They are even all tied up with great big bows. There's only one problem with these boxes in front of your house. They're empty. If anyone were to come and take them when we weren't looking, they would be taking nothing more than beautified nothingness. The packages contain the fanfare and all the ceremonial aspects of Christmas, but have no meaning or value. In many ways, these packages reflect and represent a lot of Christians today. They dress up in Christian paraphernalia of our culture. They carry a Bible under their arm, attend church, teach Sunday school, and all else. Yet if we were to peel back the paper, the tape and bows, oftentimes we would, we would not be able to locate the vibrant, life-giving, and abundant life of Jesus Christ within. Without Jesus, Christianity is just another religion among many. After all, he is the very essence of God, who came not only to take away the sins of the world, but to reveal the Father to us in the flesh. In Matthew 1, 21 through 23, we read, She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for, you, for he will save his people from their sins. Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall be with child, and she bear a son. And they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translates, which translated means God with us. The essence of this message, or this passage, an event in history, is not merely that a baby was born. The essence is that God became a baby. God was in the crib. We read about this in the prophecy found in Isaiah 9-6. For a child will be born to us. A son will be given to us. Keep in mind that the child is born, but the son is given. This is because the son existed before the child was born. The virgin gave birth to a child, but the child that the virgin birthed existed before the virgin ever got pregnant. Therefore, the son was given, not born. In Hebrews 10, 5-7, we see a conversation between God the Father and Christ the Son. In it, they talk about Christ coming to earth in the form of a man to do the Father's will. Therefore, when he comes in the world, he says, Sacrifice and offering you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. That's Jesus. In whole burnt offering and sacrifices for sin, you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come. In the scroll of the book it is written of me, Jesus, to do your will, O God. Not only did Jesus come to do the Father's will, 
but he came to represent God the Father so that we would know what it is like to have God with us. As the name Emmanuel defines, in Colossians 1.15 we read, He, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God. In Hebrews 1.3 says, And he, Jesus, is the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of his nature. And in John 1, 1, 14 and 18, it is written, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. No one has seen God at any time, the only begotten God who is in the bosom of the Father. He has explained him. Jesus Christ is Emmanuel, God with us. In Luke's gospel, there was a sign given to the shepherds in Luke 2.10. And the angels and the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and laying in a manger. Look at this. The sign will be a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and laying in a feeding trough. He enters the world with the lowliest in the lowliest of places. This was spoken to the shepherds. God has been incarnated into human flesh and he chooses to identify with the shepherds. Think about it. His first residence is a feeding trough wrapped in rags. Jesus enters into, our, into the dirt. He makes his family tree a group of questionable riffraffs. The incarnation of Jesus into the world is a message that Jesus is not afraid of sin. He enters our dirty hearts. He is drawn to our inadequacies and our weaknesses and sins. He wraps himself up in swaddling clothes, our wicked hearts, that take up res and he takes up residence there. He enters the dirty mangers of our hearts. It is a holy invasion by Christ. He doesn't ask you to clean up first. He's not put off by us and our sin. Rather, he enters into it. He isn't put off by our dysfunctional families. He becomes part of it. He seeks us out. He, be, he comes to us. As he did for Matthew. I want you to think about Matthew for a minute here. He's a tax collector. I picture a guy who is probably a little fidgety, eerie of people. He has probably been spit at. Uh, people probably yell at him in the streets. I mean, this guy is padding his own pockets by adding to the taxes that people have to pay to Caesar. I mean, Jesus picking this guy, right? But Jesus is here for sinners, not for the righteous. So in Matthew 9, 9 through 13, we read, Jesus calls Matthew. As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at a tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as Jesus reclined at table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came 
and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard it, he said, Those who are well have no need for a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I came to call, came not to call the righteous, but sinners. As we read it, as we read that, we can see the reflection of Hebrews in the text. When God the Father had no delight in the sacrifices and burnt offerings, but desired mercy, that God provided through the body of Jesus that God prepared for him, through Jesus, God is looking to seek out the hearts of sinners like you and me. And like a doctor for the sick, he has made a way to himself through Jesus Christ. In Jesus' life, death, and the fact that he rose from the dead on the third day. And if we only believe in Jesus, he becomes part of our family that we might become part of his. Jesus is for all people, and he came to rescue us. J.C. Ryle puts it this way in his book, Old Paths. He did not sit in heaven pitying us from a distance. He did not stand upon the shore and see the wreck and behold poor drowning sinners struggling in vain to get to shore. He plunged into the waters himself. He came off to the wreck and took part with us in our weakness and infirmity, becoming a man to save our souls. As man, he bore our sins and carried out carried our transgressions. As man, he endured all that men can endure and went through everything in man's experience. As man, he lived. As man, he went to the cross. As man, he died. As man, he shed his blood in order that he might save us, poor shipwrecked sinners, and establish a communication between earth and heaven. As man, he became a curse for us in order that he might bridge the gulf and make a way by which you and I might draw near to God with boldness and have access to God without fear. What a great picture that paints for us as we see Christ paving the way for us, taking, taking us in his arms, bearing our cross. But he also invites us to take part of this in Matthew there's a clear, clear link between the first verse of Matthew and the last section of Matthew, and that is the Great Commission. In the very last section of the very last chapter in Matthew, Jesus tells his disciples to make disciples of all nations. All nations is comprehensive of Gentiles and Jews. This picks up on the first verse of Matthew 1.1. Is Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. God promised Abraham that the people would be blessed in his seed. Jesus now fulfills this. This is how all nations will be blessed through the Abrahamic covenant, through Jesus. 
But as we wind down to a close here today, I want you to be encouraged as I am to know that Jesus came to save us from our sin, born from a virgin, and lived a life we could never live. Let us look forward to the next week as we hear how Jesus is God with us, that we have a God who wants to do life with us, that we have, ultimately, a God who will shepherd us into a life with him. And I pray that you know that you can be a part of Christ's inheritance. The genealogy doesn't end with Jesus. You can be a child of God. As we read in John 1, 11 through 13, he came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And in Matthew 12, 49 and 50, And stretching out his hand towards his disciples, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. No matter what your background is, no matter what your pedigree is, no matter what your last name is, you can be counted as one of God's children. So let's pray as we close today. Lord, I thank you for your son who was given so that we may live eternally with you. I pray you would bless us with encouraged hearts to go and lead more people to Jesus, that we may be filled with your spirit to do your will as we leave here today. And let us not pick up our own will so quickly as we go about this week ahead. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.